0: Your challenges don't define you. How you deal with them does. So are you ready to recover from
1: reality? And that's actually the beauty of like, I started a podcast, you started a podcast. I started a podcast two years ago. It wasn't like I was brand new to the moment podcasting was a thing. There were already hundreds of thousands of shows. But I found my people because there's people waiting for you. That only you can serve. That's what's so beautiful. That's why there's enough room at the table for you. Yeah. But we keep ourselves from that space. Mm -hmm.
0: That was a quick clip from this week's episode. Hi, fam. I feel like I can call you guys family now because we do. We really feel like a community. And the messages that I've been getting from you guys lately are equally heartbreaking and inspirational. And I just want to say thank you so much for trusting me with your stories. And I just want to take a minute first and foremost to say thank you. We just passed Thanksgiving and I am so over the moon grateful for you guys. And especially of your support of My book that came out last week, Recovering from Reality, it's available on Amazon and your Kindles, and it became a bestseller in one day. That is huge. That is such an accomplishment, and I am just so, so grateful for all of the support and all of the feedback and all of the reviews you guys have been leaving. I mean... What a blessing and I feel honored to be so well received and loved from you guys. Um, you know what I decided that I think that I want to do? I want to sometimes read some of the messages that I get from you guys and also some read some of the reviews that you're leaving on the podcast because I feel like many times we can feel really alone or like we're not struggling with the same things and I just want to kind of lift the veil of that and let you guys know that you're absolutely not alone. Um, I got a message from someone this week, too, actually, that really moved me. The first was from a gentleman who wrote me and said that he heard me on the Juicy Scoop podcast recognize that his addiction to opiates was unhealthy, that he was using Oxy and abusing them. And you guys, he got sober. So props to you. I'm going to let everybody remain anonymous unless they write me and tell me that I can share their identity. But that is no easy feat. And I am so proud of you for taking those steps towards a better life for yourself. You are so deserving of that. And I'm just holding so much space for you in my heart, and I am so, so happy for you. This other message, someone wrote me and they said, Hi, I felt compelled, in all uppercases, um, to reach out to you and tell you that your book and podcast have changed my life. I am a 29-year-old single mother I've dealt with some bad childhood trauma and things that dragged on into my adult life. Abuse and cheating and so much pain and I struggled for so long to cope. I kept brushing it away until six months ago. Finally, paired with anxiety and depression, I hit a breaking point. I couldn't see a way out and I planned to end my life. Everything came rushing to me and to the surface and I cracked big time. The only reason I stay on this earth was for my son. The only reason I didn't end my own life was because in my car that day, my son's favorite teddy bear that he's had since day one was sitting next to me. Seeing that on the seat next to me stopped me from doing the worst. I tried therapy, which I stopped going because I felt like it wasn't working. I refused to face anything because I was scared of what would happen. I was sick of the life that was being thrown at me. I couldn't see that I was the problem. Last week, I hit another breaking point and decided enough was enough. I can't remember when it was, but one day I heard a snippet of one of your podcasts on my stories. So I decided to listen to the first episode and I dove in hard. I cannot explain to you how it felt to hear your story and to know that whilst we haven't suffered the same exact traumas, I'm not alone. That I could too get out of this mess that I had put myself in by not owning my shit and dealing with the horrors of my childhood, my financial decline, and the fact that I was destroying my body and ignoring it all and putting myself on a path to self destruct. Then I downloaded your book and shit got even more real. I have never felt better. I feel so different. Your work, your affirmation, and your teachings are changing my life and slowly dragging me into the right place that I need to be in, not just for myself, but for my son. I cannot thank you enough for being so brave to share your story and how you coped and how you're helping others to do so. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for helping me reconnect with my soul and getting me on the road to recovery. Wow. I want to just say thank you. You're doing this. It's not me. I'm a vessel, right? For you guys and I just want to say I I dedicated my book to you, to the collective, to us. It's not for me. I don't do this podcast for me. I do it for us. I do it so we can share our stories, our big and small victories so that way we can come home to ourselves be our most authentic self. And feel supported along the path. So, thank you so much. This week's guest is Kathy Heller. I'm so excited to have her on. She has an incredible podcast called Quit Your Day Job. And she is a mom of three, she has three daughters, which is amazing. And she's coming on to talk about her challenges in life and the way that she turned them into basically a million dollar plus business. Her story is so inspiring. And there were so many major takeaways um, for me. And I hope that you guys have the same experience. So, With
1: that, here is Kathy. I think we all start out the same way. You know, most people have been through some trauma or some discomfort as kids. And so I don't feel like I'm unique in that way. But my childhood was one of those, you know, typical things where there was some pain. My parents got divorced. My mom was suffering from depression. She was actually suicidal most of my life. So I remember like calling 911 as a little kid and it was a lot. It was hard, and I really felt pretty invisible growing up. I felt like no one really saw me, like I had to take care of my parents. I wanted to get as far from there as possible, and I loved writing music as a kid, and music was such a sort of, like, place of solace for me, and I thought maybe one day I'll, like, move out to Los Angeles, and I'll get a record deal, and it was hard. Like, I barely graduated from high school. My homeroom teacher actually Said the morning of my senior year, he's like, You didn't get the grades you needed to pass, but I'm gonna lie, because I know you need to get out of here. So, in any case, I came out to LA and I wanted to get a record deal, and I got a job. I didn't have any money or emotional support from my parents, nothing. It just was me doing my thing, and I got a day job and worked really hard to figure out how to get a record deal and write songs. And at first, my songs were really not good. And then they got better. And then I got signed to Interscope. And I was sitting with Ron Fair. i just gotten signed. I was sitting with Lady Gaga was recording that night, paparazzi. And I was like, oh, my God. And there was all these incredible strings. And I, I couldn't believe I was there. And then three months later, I got a call. I was on the 10 freeway. And Ron calls me. He's like, can you call me when you get off the freeway? And he said, you know, Jimmy really loves you. But we just don't know for sure if we're going to sell the record. It's like, it's not like an ironclad thing. And I know you're going to be so successful, but it's not going to happen. And I was like, wow. You know, I just felt like I was like dropped from the, the moon and the stars. And then that's where my friends were like, all right, this is the moment. You have to get a real job. You have to be a grown up. And I was like, oh, right, because grown ups suffer and they're, and miserable. And they're miserable. Yeah. So I started looking for jobs, but it was kind of stupid. Like I didn't really fit and I knew I wasn't at all in alignment with myself. But I started to see like, well, what would that look like if I like put on a suit and sat in an office? It was awful. And a friend of mine said to me, if you're not going to do what you love, you should just work at a real estate, like commercial real estate. Do that because those people make money. She's like, I know this guy in Brentwood. Just go meet with him. So I go meet with this guy. He's super nice. And he's like, look, I'll pay you money if you just get on the phone with principal investors and set up lunch meetings for me. And I was like, all right. So I did that for two years and I was making like and I was 25. So I was like, this is pretty cool. I bought this little Mercedes and I was eating good sushi and I had my cute little apartment all to myself. And I was so unhappy and I just couldn't do it. I just felt like I was just not I didn't even recognize myself in the mirror. So I decided that's it. I'm quitting the job. And everybody thought I was insane. They're like, what, what on earth? Like, who are you to think, like, you're God's gift? Like, you're going to leave this job and something's going to happen. Those things don't happen for people like us. And I was like, there's got to be a way. Is it? Is it really Beyonce or bust? Is it really like you're either Elon Musk or you have to build someone else's dream and that's it for you? I was like, there's got to be a way. So I quit my job. And the savings is starting to dwindle and I'm looking for like, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? And I met with Craig Kalman at Atlantic and it was like an almost, but it didn't work. I'm like, darn it. I can't get back in the music business. And then Craig said to me, he's like, he's president of Atlantic. He's like, you know, you should write music for soundtracks. Like that's a whole path. You should just do that. So I'm like, great, thanks. So he introduced me to people at um, one of the studios at Universal Pictures. And I'm like, wait, this is a thing? You pay indie artists to write end title songs? Like she's like, yeah, Katie Tunstall just did the song for Devil Wears Prada and made her whole career. I'm like, what? Okay. So I just spent all my time figuring out what projects were coming out, who needed what music. And then that's when everything changed because for the first time in my life, I was thinking about writing something that someone else needed, which is really the crux of business is actually empathy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's
1: serving, it's actually it's using serving. your gift to serve yeah. someone else. So I was like, okay, and it worked. And within like a year and a half, I started to get my songs that I was singing on shows like One Tree Hill and Switched at Birth and then movies and trailers. And then I wrote theme songs for television shows. And then I was in ads for McDonald's. And I I was like, oh my God, and the money was there. And I bought a house and I was like, this is amazing. And I was like, that's it. I guess I'm arrived. This is what I do. And it was a fun thing to do, and it was a fun thing to say I did at parties. I felt like I had this, like, identity, and I got married and had a baby, and that was what I did. And then a lot of songwriters would say to me, like, how do you do that? And I was featured in Billboard and Variety, and the LA Weekly would write these full-page stories about me. And I remember saying to one of the journalists, why is this newsworthy? And he's like, P.S., never ask somebody who thinks you're newsworthy why they, they – like." makes you like you're questioning my <laughs> I was like sorry. Um but when that happened, other artists started to send me emails. Can you teach me how to do that? I'm like, no. Like can you show me how to do it? no. I didn't see myself as multi-hyphen. I think a lot of people we like lock ourselves in. So yeah. I'm getting to the end of the story to bring us up to now. No, I'm I'm loving it. I'm, okay. I'm here cool. for it. Okay, I'm, cool. I like it. Yeah. So long story short, it was like a couple years of people asking me all the time like, how did you do that? And I'm like I, I, I well, you know, I tried to figure out who to get through to. Yeah, but you didn't have an agent. What'd you do? I'm like, well, I had an agent for a while and then I thought I'll just try it on my own because I thought I'm going to be a bigger advocate for myself every day than somebody else who has a roster of 35, 45 people. And I said, well, I just like looked up the people I needed to know. Yeah, but how'd you get through? I was like, well, I didn't send emails that were like, hey, I'm Kathy Heller. Here's everything that I've ever done that's cool since I'm eight years old. I would instead send really personable, fun, casual emails and talk to them about them and what they needed. And I would just like, it worked. I was a human, you know? And people were like, what? I was like, yeah. Then I would think about like what their answer was. If their project was, oh, we're working on a movie. It's about overcoming, you know, this thing that's in the way. And oh, we're working on a movie about sisters. I would say, cool. And then I would go write a song called Count On Me and send it to them. Be like, does this work? Oh, what? isn't that selling out? Now you're using your art to like do something that someone else needs. I'm like, no, that's called the world, right? That's how everything you've ever enjoyed, someone thought about you. Someone thought about like how you dress and what you feel so that they could make the things that you like. So I wound up being on a bunch of people's podcasts. I hadn't even heard of a podcast at the time, but people would be like, oh, I have a music podcast for the industry. You should be on it. I spoke at panels and all. I spoke at different music schools, and next thing I know, somebody was like, "You should start an online course." And I'm like, "What's an online course? Like that sounded like Japanese." In any case, I I decided to do it. I was pregnant with my third daughter, and I was like, not cool at all. I was like seven months pregnant, doing my first quote-unquote webinar. I didn't have slides. I didn't know what a webinar was. I wasn't slick. I just spoke right to the camera for an hour, and I was like, "And here's the offer. I guess I'll do this course. You can pay me a thousand bucks." And I made $147,000 in that day. And I was like that's amazing because it would take <laughs> me like two songs to make that usually. Yeah. And I was like this is so freeing because I was in this cycle of like I had to keep being creative. I had to make the next widget. I had to write the next song in order to make money. Yeah. So I was it was very taxing. It's hard to have yeah. to be creative. I was like, well, that's crazy. And I realized in that moment that for everything you've ever done in your life, there will always be like 50 people who want to know how you did it. How you do it. Yeah. So I started a course and within the year, it made like half a million. And then the next year, it made a million. And the next year, it made two million. Kathy, I need a course. You, <laughs> no, you do. I'm, I'm just, but honestly, you do.
0: You know what, though? It's funny because <laughs> I've been getting that like spiritual download in my meditation. And then I'm like, but it's too much. Like I actually – like I don't know how to put it together and like what would it look like and yeah, the time. Yeah, that's when you got to – So that's where yeah, the, the, your podcast will come in yeah. because it's all about how to kind of get
1: out of your own way yeah, in my, a lot of ways. That's it. So in the course that I taught, I, there was a girl, Amy, and she was like, you should do a podcast. I was like, mm-hmm. I don't listen to podcasts. I don't even know – She's like, just do it. Why not? You just do a podcast for all creatives, for all people to help them get resourceful and scrappy and figure out what their thing is and figure out how they can make a living. And I was like, you know, let's just see. And so, I mean, I didn't have a network or public. I never had anything like that. I just was sitting in my closet two and a half years ago. And now we're at like 10 million downloads. And I've gotten to interview Bobby Brown and Howard Schultz and Jenna Fisher and, Brian Grazer and Barbara Corcoran was on last week, and Colby Calais, who's a songwriter that I always loved. It's just been unbelievably incredible. I've grown so much. I've learned so much. And then I wrote a book, which just came out. And what's so amazing is that if you allow yourself to be led, you get out of your, like you said, get out of your own way, the plans that the universe has for you, they're just far beyond, you know, if you you just really surrender to being in service. And I think... It's so funny because
0: how this happened was it was born through, like, complete disaster. My husband's business burned down. Um, All five houses in the Woolsey fire of our treatment center burnt down to the ground. Thankfully, all of our patients were safe and okay, and we evacuated them. But talk about trauma, right? My husband's a soul. I I went into rehab, and I said, I'm staying away from all media. I'm just going to be a stay-at-home mom, and he's our sole provider, and— it was like one thing after another. We got slapped with a ginormous tax bill that we weren't expecting. We, that you know, we, so that we burnt oh the five my houses. My grandfather um, committed suicide. It was just like, oh, my God. Like, how is this happening? This but doesn't my, even sound real. But my husband's been like saying for years, you need to have a blog. You need to have, like, your story is so— inspiring. You need to do this. And I was like, yeah, right. Like I don't have anything. You know what I mean? Like all of that negative self-talk, which is funny because I would consider myself like a really positive person, but I had no self-confidence. Like crippling to the point where it's like I couldn't, like I could go and be around other people. But the second that the attention turned to me, it was all of that past shame from my history Mm -hmm. that would come up and I'd go, no one would want to sit on my podcast. No one wants to be a guest here. You know, we'll never get big guests. We'll never, you know what I mean? All of that stuff that I believed about my life. And so get out of your own way. It's like, it sounds catchy and everything, but then
1: you're like, well, how do you actually do that? Mm -hmm. The first thing is sort of like the Marie Kondo, you know, when Marie Kondo comes in your house, it gets a lot messier before it gets cleaner. Mm. She brings everything out of the closet and puts it all on the bed. And you're like, oh, no, I hate looking at these socks. And why did I ever buy those jeans? And I think the first thing is just the awareness of, like, looking at this, what's really going on. And what's really going on for all of us is there's an inner child who really, truly was hurt and something happened. Like, Either someone left, or someone died, or someone rejected you, and you got really smart. You're like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna have the best strategy. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna learn how to survive by not wanting things, by not feeling things, by not putting myself out there. So it feels like life or death. Like it feels really scary because you learned that in order to be loved, you needed to you know, shut this part of you off or in order to not be hurt, which felt like so intense at four or eight or whenever this thing happened, you were going to just, I'm good. I'm fine. I don't really want for anything. It's all fine. You know, so we don't really look at it. And then when you look at it, I think it's about just listening. You know, we spend so much time distracted. You're on the phone, you're watching Netflix. Like, it's amazing what can happen if you take one walk every day without your phone. And just start to spend time with that kid. And sometimes I suggest to people like, find a picture of yourself at six and look at how magical. It's so effortless to love that child when you see yourself at six. You're just like, wow. And apologize to her and say, you know, I'm so sorry for telling you for so long that your ideas are not enough and that you're not, you're not, it's not gonna matter. And it's not true. It's just not true. And and the other thing to recognize is that we have 70,000 thoughts a day. And what's really cool is that years ago, we didn't have brain science. We didn't know about the way the body and the brain work together. So people would just be like, I guess I'm just in a bad mood. But now we understand that your brain was created for one purpose only, which is to protect you. So what it does, and it doesn't mean you're weird, you're normal if you're worrying a lot. You're normal if you're anxious. That's what the brain's meant to do because there was a time where there was like a tiger coming around the corner and you as a smaller entity needed to like think and outsmart and anticipate danger. So on top of what you've already been through in your life, you now that's what your brain is doing. So if you get that, if you know that, the same way you know that your car needs gas, the same way you know your iPhone needs to be charged, if you get that about yourself, it means every single day Every day, just like you eat every day to get energy, you need to get that your mind needs to be directed in a way that you're going to get fueled, you're going to get lit, you're going to get pumped up. Because every single person who's listening, we've all had those moments when we feel bold, and in those moments we can do anything. So productivity is not about how much money we have, how much time we have. Productivity is a state. It's a state. When you're lit up, you'll get more done in 45 minutes than you would if you were on sabbatical for six months feeling really lousy. You just stay in bed and watch Game of Thrones. But when you're lit up and you get it, so it's about, it's about really doing that work and directing the attention. So it's energy, right? Just like you charge your phone. So what energizes you? Is it this podcast? Is it going on a run? Is it meditation? Is it taking a walk? I don't care if it's jumping up and down a hula hooping. Like figure what out, Figure out what that is and do it every day every day. Because what everybody has is greatness. What everybody has is talent. But what they're missing is momentum, right? Like, we don't have momentum. So how do you get momentum? It's like, it's only through action. The clarity only comes through the action. You can't think your way to a great idea and then think your way to all the steps. Like, it's just by doing it, you're led like a scavenger hunt to the next clue and the next clue. So um, it's really about knowing that and then... Just like you'd charge your iPhone. You wouldn't get in the Uber Saturday night and have an iPhone that's at 11%. Like, you'd be—you'd actually be physically anxious if that's— You I can't go out. I need a charger. Why do we do that with ourselves? We're just, like, not charged. And then yeah. we're like, oh, I'm just hopeful that this year, this decade will work out. Yeah. I'm not spending any time on myself, not doing what's going to, like, you know, rally every part of me and, like, get me to, like, step up. Right? Yeah. And it's, like, all the implicit messages we've been taught. My friend Alex wrote a book called The Third Door. Mm. And he interviewed Lady Gaga, Steven Spielberg, Warren Buffett, Bill Gates. Like, it's incredible how he met all these people. And this is just important, this last thing I'll say on this topic. But he he talked to all these successful people. And what is it? Like, what did they have in common? They weren't the same age or gender or race, religion. They didn't come from the same economics. Like, nothing was the same except for he realized that they all – went through the third door. And the third door analogy is so great because he basically says like, picture a nightclub. There's, there's that one line, that long line that's going around the block. That's where most people, s- they sit there their whole life in that line. They just sit there. The second line is like, your last name's Kardashian. You're on the VIP list. Okay, some people, you get on that second line, the second door. But he said, there's always, 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 always a third door. And the hard part isn't finding the door. It's not executing it. It's not opening it. It's actually not heavy. It's just a door. The hard part, this hit me like right between the eyes. He goes, Kathy, the hard part is leaving the line. The line. Because all take the, the self-doubt. Who are you to do that? You'll fail. You'll die. Who? What are all the people on the line around you going to say and think about you? So it's like everything you've known about survival, how to be loved, how to stay the course, how to be comfortable, how to get through life, how to please the people around you. Like you sit in that line and everyone who's made it Anyone who's successful in any endeavor, you just like took your own yeah. key out of your pocket, unlocked the door, and like got yourself out of the line. And you're like, oh, it worked because yeah. I left the line. But how hard is that? Yeah, because you're leaving all things that
0: feel comfortable. And so, and we're so programmed to be comfortable. And not to be uncomfortable. I mean, we're literally living in a society of people who take pills not to
1: be, be not comfortable. comfortable. But they're yes. all, and there's also just and that's so much okay. shame. Yeah, and,
0: and and that's okay. I get it. Right. Because it's scary. Right. And it's crazy, especially. And so much of my thinking, and I think that there is something to be said about this. Is my age? I've aged. I am, and you know who I love is Bibi Rexa. She was turning thirty, and she was getting all these messages from her management and whatever of like yeah you're a little old to be doing la la. It's ridiculous. And well, but it's interesting. Says who? Well, it's interesting because it is much younger. Where do you do you, like I had to think about this the other day. Do you realize that Kylie Jenner is 21 years old? No. Like all of these She's girls that billion. look 30 <laughs> yeah are like 19. And so you—and I feel that pressure as a woman of, like, oh, well, you know, and we are seeing major strides in body positivity and all this stuff. But, like, I'm flawed now. Like, I've had two children. Like, my body is different. My face is different. Like, my—it is a very, very real thing. Yep, And so for me to go, oh, okay, well, uh, I'm gonna, you know— Put myself out there and take photos and become a in quotes influencer. Basically, have more social media presence. Put my life out there. You know, possibly be criticized. It's different.
1: I don't know. It's. I think it's something that's really it's challenging. Hard. I mean, I, the
0: age thing is
1: hard. But what I've realized, and I guess I've realized this along the way, the greatest, greatest human need is to feel seen. So people really aren't scrolling for someone else who's perfect and it's interesting because if you really want to stand out quickly be vulnerable yeah like your brokenness is what makes you more relatable it's the reason why people can hear it from you and it's really what people need is and that's i think why your show's successful is you're like here's the hot mess that I was, and this is what I'm working through. No, and that I still am. (laughs) Right. I mean, I was being nice, but you definitely are are. a hot mess. I'm just
0: kidding. No, but that that we all are. That's it. like, yeah, I mean, I got on this path. It certainly hasn't been the easy path, and it's often messy, and I do this thing now, not proud of myself moments, where I'm like, I'm just going to say it, you know. This morning when my daughter— yelled that she doesn't have any toys, and I dumped all of her toys in the middle mm, of her room and ran down the hallway and just was going to lose. Not proud of myself, but that's a real-life parenting moment of, like, you know, the insanity that that
1: we live in, you know? And my—to to meet you there, it's, like, 2.20 in the morning last night, and I'm like, <laughs> why do I hear— someone running around. Oh, my God. And in my head, I was mad. I'm like, she should be in bed. I have three kids. So I'm like, and whoever the, the, because they're all girls. I'm like, whoever it is should be in bed. (laughs) So I'm mad. So then I hear my door open and I don't turn over because she goes away. And then it's hard for me to fall back to sleep. And I pick up my phone on my nightstand and I start working because I'm totally a workaholic. And I hear her again, and then I felt so guilty because at four fifteen, when I got up, she had been throwing up, and she was so sweet because she didn't want to bother me. Mm. And I had been awake for two hours answering stupid messages. Okay. And I go, Gabrielle, that's so you're, and. Today's her birthday. Mm. Legit, she turned eight.
0: And you showed up here. You should have just called me. Like, oh no, Can I cannot make it. <laughs> I, I, well, I
1: we I canceled most of the morning, but okay. not for you.
0: Okay. Um,
1: in any case, I felt so oh, the mom awful. guilt. I was like, I am, and she's like, it's okay. And I cleaned it up, and she's like, but I just Ugh. need like seltzer, and so I couldn't find it. She's eight. She turned eight today. I was like, I'm so sorry, and it's your birthday, and. I gave her the slime that she didn't get to open yet, and I gave her her OMG doll, and we watched—she watched a movie, and I just felt like, okay, that was real, you know? That was, like, that's part of just not having it all together, and I don't have it all together. You know, I I feel like my goal in life is to make people feel less broken in the Mm -hmm. sense that, like, it's— it's all of it all the time. Like every one of us self-sabotages. Every one of us is arguing with our spouse. Every one of us is dealing with shame around receiving and feeling lovable, like deep at our core. Like it's all the stuff. And you're just not in it alone. You know, if you're in that, welcome to the party, sis. Like this is it. And it's fine. It actually makes you So that's where, like, when I see people trying super hard to be, like, younger, perfect, Botox, whatever, I'm just like, gosh, like, it could be so – you're making it so much harder than it has to be. Mm. Like, you could actually be so much more beloved. Like, look at Brene Brown, you know? Yeah. She's, like – I'm guessing she's 50-something. Yeah. And she's not a size 2. No. People love Love her. her. I mean, Oprah is not a quintessential beauty queen. And that's
0: my whole thing. I'm recovering from eating disorders, stuff. So I follow a lot of body positivity Instagram. So my thought at first was like, okay, I'm going to stop following all of the size two supermodels because I don't feel good about myself when I'm following them, right? Not thinking like, okay, but why is that? Like, why can't they just have the body that they have and that's fine? So I started following a lot of body positivity accounts, and this is nothing against, like, it's great. I mean, and diversity, right? The black trans woman and the, you know— White mom who has cellulite and whatever else, and all of it is great. But then I, uh, someone wrote one of them, one of the accounts, her name is Choosing Chelsea. She wrote this whole thing, and I said, why do we have to focus so much on our bodies? Why right, like at all. Fo- like, right, like, like I don't why care is care any Botox? Of it, like, I love Botox. I'm going to Botox until probably I'm 95. I'm going to Botox <laughs> forever. It's fine, right? You can do what you want with your body. I can do it. Why do we care so much about right. what like, other what people you're saying are doing is Either with their way, socks. we're still the talking about that we live in. Like, who? Right. Like, I want to like know focusing, what's going on inside. Exactly. It's like it's
1: still so much about the body. The either body, way. Yeah, either way. It's like, why do we, we have don't to, even do that at need all? to have so much conversation exactly. about something that's so not?
0: We don't have to talk about it at all. It, it I want to know matter. about your heartbreak. Yeah, I exactly. want to know about that parenting moment. You know, my daughter ended up, the blow up got to the point where she ran out the front door. I've never, she's never like ran away. Like, we, you know, we don't have a very traumatic, crazy house. But this morning, like I, lo- like I lost it just because of the whininess and overall the disrespect and just being six. That and is a 6 the entitlement. You the just entitlement were like, wait, all- I am I not like, going to raise a girl know? who's a jerk. And do you even know? And she's the sweetheart. You- everyone's always like, she's so sweet. And I know that the reason why she's so intense with me is because she feels safe to be you know what
1: I mean, but and but she's a perfectionist. And I'm sure she's so cute, she's so sweet, and so, sweet and thing, so normal at her age. Like yeah, my kids yes. do the same thing. Yes, we leave like you know some incredible resort, and they're right away they're they're upset. Yeah, but uh, this car you rented doesn't have TVs in the back, yeah. and I'm just like, oh, my new car my doesn't have TV, God. and I want to be like, do you even
0: realize? And so so she comes back so in, horrible. and instantly she's you know all tears hanging off me, and I feel like I don't want to hug you. I need space. I don't want to touch you because it's not like a nice hug. It's like a hanging off, dumping all of your energy on me hug. And I had to take a breath, and I sat down with her on the stair. And she said, I'm sorry, Mommy. Do you forgive me? And I said, well, let's talk about that. Like, forgive you for what? And she goes, for, like, yelling about the toys and blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, what do you think that is? And she goes, it's really hard being a little kid sometimes. I feel these really big feelings, and then all of a sudden they just come out. And I was like, that's just being human, honey. And we can totally work on pausing and and all of that. But that's it's amazing it awareness is, but that it's she has. So it is that's so really and it's a in the repair, right? Beautiful moment. It's in the repair. So in that moment, I was like, five seconds ago, I was dumping all of her toys. And when I say all of her toys, I was like, These are going in the trash. <laughs> you know, like I'm just gonna hear you don't even know what it's like to have no toys. And just take it all away. It's going yeah. in the garage. You can have it back in a month when you're more great. Mind you, I'm taking her to Disneyland tomorrow with a tour guide so she doesn't have to wait in lines. I mean, it's like the most ridiculous shit ever, this kid of mine. And I and I asked my husband, I said, Are, am I creating a monster? And he goes, no, because he goes, how valuable was the conversation after it was so valuable. Yep. And so when we're talking about insight, it's like all of the mess of whatever we've gone yep. through. When we just gain a little bit of that insight, a.k.a. it's hard being a little kid. I don't know what to do with these emotions. We can harness that and turn it into power.
1: We can turn that pain into yep. power. Yep. And that's really true. And there's a whole chapter in my book about how like your mess is your message and your pain becomes purpose and it is like you know some storms come to like ruin everything and some storms come just to clear path you know it's like we've all been assigned like every person listening was assigned to do something and I'm 100% clear about that you know I my daughter for some reason throughout her life she's eight she has three sets of best friends, like all her friends are, uh, sorry, three sets of twins. All of her friends are twins for some reason, three girls. So six girls. And I find it really fascinating. I was talking to the mother of one of these sets of twins and I said, isn't it amazing that you have identical girls and they're different, you know, like their fingerprints are different. I said, what's the evolutionary need for that? Like whether you're looking at it from God or science we, we only have the things that we need. You know, like we don't have webbing between our fingers and toes anymore. We don't need that. Why do we still have that? And I think it's, a, it's just a wink that you are an original, there never was, there never will be, and there's something and you know it. And I think the opposite of happiness is not, I mean, the opposite of depression is not happiness. I don't think it's happy that you're looking for it. I had Jillian Michaels on my show and she's like, happy is not a, a place where you like, no. that's it. It's
0: not a destination.
1: I've that arrived. Yep. Mm-hmm. She said, it's not. And we were talking about it. I'm like, it's really purpose. And that's what the research shows. We had this woman on my show, Emily Espahani smith She did a TED Talk on why happiness is overrated. And she said, it's not happiness that you want. It's it's a sense of purpose. It's a sense of con- contributing, which I think is incredible about our species, like I don't think koala bears are thinking, I really want to serve other koala bears. You know, they just want to eat peaceful, go to sleep, procreate. Human beings are like, something is missing. Like, unless I'm able to make something more whole, it's as if we know that's why you're here. So as scary as it is, there's a reason why you've been through whatever you've been through. And it was, like, perfectly laid out as, like, a soul curriculum for you to then— do the job that's only yours. And don't you see it in families? Like, I have a sister, same parents. We are so different. So the, different. The perspective. Me and my sisters are nothing alike. Right. So it doesn't matter. You could yeah. be like, well, there's already 55 people just like me. There's 15,000 other blogs like it. Everybody already has that same fashion line I wanted to start yeah. or whatever. It's like, no. Because the way you see it and what you've been through is unique. I'm promising you it's unique. And this guy, Adam Grant, he's a— um He's a professor at Wharton. He has a TED Talk podcast. And he said to me, Kathy, as long as you say something true, it doesn't need to be new. Yeah. Like, you can never hear it enough times, mm. the things that you need to hear. And a lot of us, especially people who are
0: on the path of self-evolving and spirituality right. and all that stuff, we're all saying similar stuff or the same, right? Right. But you never know if you hear it from one person. I could hear the same yeah, thing over hits, and over and over right? again, but then I hear it from one person and, and I go,
1: oh, that's it. Yeah, it's like it's just, it's sort of like, you know, there'd be like a dog in this room right now and he would hear things we don't hear because they hear a different frequency.
0: Yeah.
1: It's like certain people speak your frequency. It's like a radio, right? Like yeah. <laughs> right now there's music playing. Yeah. There is, but we don't hear it. We turn on a radio and it, yeah. certain stations bring in certain transmission. I think you're right. I think there are certain people— And that's actually the beauty of like, I started a podcast, you started a podcast. I started a podcast two years ago. It wasn't like I was brand new to the moment podcasting was a thing. There were already hundreds of thousands of shows, but I found my people because there's people waiting for you that only you can serve. That's what's so beautiful. That's why there's enough room at the table for you. Yeah. But we keep ourselves from that space. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: I think that... um one thing that lauren and michael who mm-hmm. are the head of dear media said to me was oh you've got your niche right you've got that thing and i think that that is important to find find that and i think that it is through that kind of like deep soul dive of what it is yeah. and then being willing to be brave enough because I don't do recovery like, you know, I'm not a member of AA anymore. A lot of people would be like, oh, my God, that is like the worst thing. Like how, you know what I mean? You're not going to survive. You're going to get loaded. Whatever the, you know, standard, like typical thoughts are about that type of thing. And my message is like, you've got to figure out what works for you. You know, and relapse is normal and mental health issues are definitely going to happen and come up and all of these struggles that we have, like just getting on this path. It's not a linear linear experience by any means. And in the beginning, I saw a drop off. I was like, I'm losing followers. I can't say this. I would say to my then producer at the time, I can't say stuff like this. Like I'm literally and she was like, no, because you'll find your people and it's not It's not a race. It's like the slow and steady grow that gets you there. And so when people are like, well, I only have like 200 followers and, you know, it's like we live in a world now that's so crazy, too, where you can Google, like, how do I grow my audience? How do I do this? And people like you who are like, well, I actually just tried this, like this method of emailing people like in a really authentic happy mm-hmm. way and it worked for me and that's kind of you know like the um who's the businesswoman to Marie Marie Forleo for, for Leo. you know it's like she figured out her own method and you know what I mean and then you find what resonates with you
1: yeah and I think it's really scary because everyone's not only now are we, like, judging what we look like compared to other people, but it's, like, how many followers do they have? How many – and, like, we, our self-worth yeah. is so tied into that. And, I mean, you know this, that you can go onto people's pages and they might have, like, 1.4 million followers. Then you click on a post and there's, like, six comments, yeah. right? And I'm not even talking about, like, if it's, like, bots. Even if they're real, right? Yeah. If the engagement isn't deep, yeah, nothing's being transmitted, so maybe someone's, like, clicking on it because they're like, oh, I love Ashton Kutcher, so I'm just going to click on this. But they're not necessarily—I'm not throwing—he might have the best account. I just used him maybe as a great. Maybe he random, does. Who knows? Just yeah. a random example. <laughs> um, or they click on this thing because they're like, oh, this woman takes really pretty photos, and I just want to see these every day come in my feed, but they're not yeah. really with her. It's amazing. It's the engagement. You know, when you are small but mighty, and you can go deep with— yeah. Think of, like I say to people, some people are like, oh, I'd love to start a podcast, but there's no way I'll ever be like, you've been featured by Apple 15 times. You were in Forbes. You were in the, whatever. It's like, okay, hang on. Imagine if you had 29 people every Tuesday morning showing up at your house. Every Tuesday morning, 29 people. I guarantee you, your neighbor at some point would go, where are all these cars coming from, right? Now imagine if 428 people showed up at your house every Tuesday morning Whoa, you know what I mean? Like think about it for a second. You know it's yeah. you can impact people and then think about how that could change the world and the ripple effects of that. and at the end of the day, what really matters and what really feels good is that letter you get from like the seventeenth person that you touched who said, "You know what? I just couldn't believe how you you know resonated with me so much and and then you you can like close your eyes and picture all of these people standing on your front lawn who you, you made a difference to. And then the ripple effects of how that gave people in their life permission and how that just continued to resonate. And it matters so much. And we are all like comparing ourselves. Well, unless I do this huge thing, it's like, what about just in your community right now? Do you know six people? And so often, like Jenna Kutcher had told me this. She's a friend of mine. And Morgan Harper Nichols told me the same thing. Whenever people are like, in that space of more more to whatever, they both said individually, we were having two different conversations, and they both said to me, like, every week, just to be grounded, I'll think of three people I care about, irrespective of to work, and just reach out and be like, how can I support you? Mm-hmm. With no wanting nothing back, just to remember why I'm on the planet. Like, I want to reach out and give. And it feels so good. And P.S., that's an amazing way to move your career forward is to just be generous. Mm-hmm. But that's not what they're saying. They're saying it actually to get them out of the crazy, out of the ego, and back to that feeling. You know, we, we, we're we so isolated now. You can do everything from your phone. You can Postmates your food. You can get DoorDash or whatever, Inst- Instacart. You don't have to go talk to anyone. And it, and the loneliness is so high in today's day, depression rates, suicide rates have tripled. It just feels so good to connect deeply with a few people. And on the business side, on my show, I've got I've read letters from our audience members, people who've literally gone and taken steps because of the show, which is so cool. You know, there was a guy in Missouri listening to the show, and he was so miserable. He was working at a dog food factory, and because of the show, he started making cheesecake. And slowly, he started selling the cheesecake in town, and then he actually quit his job. And um, he actually was fired from his job, but took the bravery to open a cheesecake shop. And he's now, like, the number one cheesecake shop in Missouri, and all these cool things have happened to him. And he's making a six-figure income. It's amazing. But I tell people, I'm like, you know, you can make a living serving. You can make multi-six figures serving... handfuls of people. When I actually finally made a living in music, of all the people in Hollywood, CBS, Netflix, NBC, Paramount, all the agencies, Deutsch, Ogilvy, I reached out to everyone. Paris, Milan, there's agencies everywhere. Everyone's doing advertising. Everyone has media. They need music. I reached out to thousands of people. At the end of the day, I would say there was a core of like 28 humans who sat in places where they needed music who were my clients and from that, we turn that into multi-six figures. Like it's, I think that this, it's very polarizing. And you know what it is? It's a great excuse. Because it's like, I why would I even bother? Because unless I had all of this, it would never amount to anything. Mm-hmm. So I'll just stay over here. Because again, you can give people strategy. You can show people, you know, answers. But unless you can change what someone believes is possible, they don't do anything. You know, how many people listening— have like bought a lottery ticket every week? No, most people don't because you don't really believe it's going to happen. But how many people have like gotten on an airplane more than 15 times? Yeah, because you, you're pretty sure you're going to get to where you're going. You're not really worried, right? We will take action if we believe it's possible. So most people are like, A, I'm not good enough. B, there's no room for me. C, I'd have to, it, it would have to be, I'd have to be Oprah to be successful versus... What if someone told you you could make $75,000 a year making cake pops? What if somebody told you that you could start a blog and from that curate like events and you next thing you know, you're you're making a hundred grand and think of the cool experiences and the people that might come into your life. And then if you continue to be resourceful and empathetic and think about how you could add value, just watch how you could. I mean, I was making seven figures before I had an email list, before I Just a person. Nobody even knew who I was. Just like the 500 people who took my class and the, you know, 30 people who licensed my music every year. And I was a mom to three kids. That was it. And that was just like a a, a taste of it. There's so much possibility. There's so much all around us. And if you can get out of your own stuff and have tremendous empathy and get resourceful and keep saying yes and give yourself permission to be totally mediocre— Yeah, like you're gonna. Your first podcast will not be your best. It will suck. It's not great. You know, okay. It's like two,
0: three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I'm like, oh, I can't listen. (laughs) My first one was just
1: me telling my story. The rest, I was like, oh god, I can't even listen to myself. And I think for all of us, you know, Ed Sheeran is talking about songwriting, and he said, imagine if you go to a log cabin, you're skiing, and you haven't been there in six months, and you go to turn on the faucet, and the water comes out like, sludgy brown water, and your friend's like, oh, it's disgusting. We can't stay here. And you're like, dude, like, just give it a second. The pipes just have to be turned on. Mm -hmm. And after, like, 12 seconds, you have clear water, you make some pasta, you're showering, you're fine. Ed Sheeran was like, that was my songwriting. Like, my first 41 songs were not good. Yeah. But I kept playing, right? You're not born Serena Williams. Like, it takes time. (laughs) Yeah. And then you become awesome. So in my book, one of the main things is like give your – you're an adult. Take out your own pen and write yourself a permission slip. Like you get to be messy yeah. and you get to be mediocre.
0: Brene Brown does that too. My yeah. mom went to her training in – Oh, and that's
1: her thing. Uh, I, I love her. I've seen her in Netflix Yeah, to special. become
0: like a Brene Brown – Certified something. Whatever. That's so cool. she went and did this and she, and, um, she says – that's I'll call her in a thing and she'll go, Alexis, write yourself a permission slip to be awesome, yeah. possibly fuck up, whatever it might be,
1: and just trust that it's going to be okay. Oh, my God. I My friend Amber Ray. she says, rejection is just redirection. Mm-hmm. And failure is like, it's feedback. When scientists today, right now, as we're sitting here, there are people who've spent the last... 42 years of their life trying to find a cure for cancer, and every day they find out what's not working. That's all they're finding out right now, and they just keep showing up for work. And it's when they find out what's not working, they're like, thank God this doesn't work. Okay, that's an answer, right? I'm getting closer. They'll make huge journals about it. We just found out this doesn't work. Thank goodness we figured that out. You know, it's like, whoa, that's a really big difference. And I think for successful people, I think everything is beta. The whole thing is, like, mm. why is there a new iPhone every year? Because they can always make it better, right? And that's awesome because I think as human beings what we crave is progress. Like, you don't want to be like, that's it. I've arrived and I know every, I know it all. Nothing more for me to learn. Yeah. That doesn't feel good. Yeah, my husband often talks
0: about that. He goes, how boring would life be if you're just, like, happy all the time? And you didn't have these, like, crazy I moments. I of- agree. I agree. You know, he goes, and one day we'll be 60, and our kids will be out of the house, and they'll be grown, and we'll be sitting at home, you know, reading the paper every morning, going to lunch with our friends, seeing a movie, coming home, doing it all over again. And we'll go, ugh, I miss the— The messy time. The messy. Where you
1: didn't sleep and your daughter threw up at 2 a.m. Yeah.
0: Wow. That was so insightful and just major takeaways. I think my biggest was— Yeah, that you're – it's never too late to say
1: yes to yourself. Yeah, and if you – I think, you know, for me, because I'm constantly asking myself, what's my biggest takeaway? Because people ask me all the time. And I think it's this idea that there's room for you, right? So just go do the thing, and you'll learn by doing it. And there's, like, a synchronicity Mm. that'll come from doing it. If you have the courage to just go do it. Yeah. And I also feel like it's showing people and ourselves, like, seeing what's possible. You know, like, I had James Clear on my show. He wrote a book called Atomic Habits. And he goes, Kathy, I wrote this book, and there's all these things in there. Like, how do you wind up getting the results you want in life? What are the right habits? He said, but right now, looking back at my book, he goes, my own book. I think there's just one that's most important, which is who you hang out with. Hmm. And I was like, whoa, that's interesting. And he said, yeah, because you're constantly conditioning yourself, right, by what you're surrounding yourself with of, like, this is what's possible. And certain people are in a really limited paradigm. Their upper limit is pretty constricting. And so I think what we need to do is, like, listening to shows like this or going out with that friend who's, like, you can just feel it. She's breaking through. Mm -hmm. Or you're watching something or read something every day, you know, like, just doing that is so important because the more you can see what's possible, you can you can actually walk down the path. And so I wanted to do that with my book. And I actually thought my book was horrible when I was writing it. I, I did was like, too.
0: I was like, oh this is God. shit. Every single I, I paragraph, I can't it. do it. I know.
1: My publisher, <laughs> I remember I'm St. Martin's Press, Macmillan is my publisher. And in April, they sent me the first draft and I was on vacation with my family and I got it at the, the hotel. They sent it up to my room and I sat down and cried and I called Macmillan. I was like, you cannot publish this. Take my name off it. We're not putting it out. It needs to be rewritten. I hate chapter three. I can't do it. And Elizabeth was like, Kathy, stop. She was like, you can't delay it anymore. We've given you all the time in the world. Everybody goes through this. I was like, it's not okay with me. She was like pushing back. She's like, you got to settle down, sister. You know, this is the book you wrote. We're, you've, we've already given you this advance. Like, we're putting the book out. And I was, like, so angry. I was, like, it's my reputation. And sure enough, they took the book. And I was, like, I don't even want to promote it because what if, you know, people don't like it? And the book came out. And the first week, we sold almost 10,000 copies. And people were, like, you don't understand. This woman, she wrote to me. She's, like, I'm a, I'm a nurse. I work with cancer patients for the last 14 years. She said, this— book is medicine. This is what people need. I was like, really? Oh, I'm so glad. You know, it's like, we don't know. We're so mean to ourselves. We're so cruel to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's amazing what happens when you just have the courage to just walk forward. And so in the book, you know, not only is it a lot about permission, but there's actual tools, like what steps to take to figure out what you love to do, to build a business. And it's interesting because after interviewing 250 people, I noticed that there was like four main archetypes of the kinds of work you can do. And that was also really helpful because I used to think either you're the famous creator type or you sit at an office. But I realized, no, some people, they don't want to be the singer, but they want to be an agent for that. Or they want to create the showcase or they're not the poet, but they want to create a poetry slam. So you're like a curator, like. You want to produce a podcast, and there's still room for you. I loved that. Or so I made this quiz on my uh, website, kathyheller.com, where you can find out like which one of the four archetypes. So it's either maker, like you make the jewelry, you make the cupcakes, you write the song, you do the podcast, right? You're the you're the maker, um, or you're the person who's a curator. You're the one curating. You have a great eye for photography, so you open a gallery or you put together a show or whatever. Um, and then there's also the teacher type. Like there are people who they're not necessarily looking to be the one opening the bakery making the stuff but they want to teach people how to make sourdough bread and like you could literally make that a go and you could make 250 grand teaching sourdough classes online right um or anything teaching people productivity habits teaching people so the teacher type that's so cool you know and then the last one is the investigator type like there are people who they don't want to make a thing they don't want to help people who do make things and they don't want to teach things so like what do i do You could just be an investigator. I met so many people on my show who spend their lives just talking and writing about topics, blogging, writing books, podcasting. Like they make their whole life gathering panels of conversations. Like Gretchen Rubin was like, "Oh, I want to explore happiness." Right? She wasn't an expert. She wasn't a psychologist. She was actually a really unhappy lawyer, and she took people on this discovery. You could you could just be obsessed with Bruce Springsteen and be like, "I'm just going to write all about Bruce Springsteen," or you could be really interested in parenthood, or baseball, or any topic. And if you got resourceful, that's what I'm saying. I feel like we live in a climate where most job jobs, they'll be gone. They they say that 50% of the jobs will be gone in the next 10 years. So what's your thing? And can you do it? I guess that's what I'm saying about possibility. Yeah, you can do it. So I talk about that in my book, what are the four archetypes? And um, there's just a lot in there. And I As I wrote it, I was like, "Oh, I just, I need to write another one because there was just so much that I couldn't say. It was so much. There's only so much I could get get to, but it's good. It's a start. And what you're doing is good, and that's why I encourage people. Like podcasts are free. Listen to as many as you can. Read as many good books as you can. You know? Yeah. The book is called Quit Your Day Job. It's called. It's the same idea but it's called don't keep or your day don't job. Keep your because day people job. always say don't quit your day job. Yes. You're never going to be able to do that dream don't thing. Don't keep your day job. Don't keep your day the job. The podcast
0: yeah. is too. Don't keep I your day job. I did the yet. same thing. Recovering from reality. <laughs> and it's your book in your show. Of the book. I think it's genius. I mean like why would you have it anything else? You wouldn't. Especially for the first book. Um lots of stuff was floated around and I was like, no. This this is it. Um And so you can follow along on her podcast and hopefully I will be on there soon. Yeah, I'd like to hear your story. And thank you so much for all the inspiration. Yeah, today. this is good. It's Thanks so for good. going into the the
1: real stuff.
0: This week's affirmation is my heart feels happy and free. And so it is. If you enjoyed this week's episode, do me a favor, head over to the podcast app and make sure to subscribe to us, rate us and leave a review. We have new episodes every Monday and you can follow along with us on Instagram at recoveringfromreality or visit our website at recoveringfromreality.com.